I think there's definitely a trend for more and more manufacturing in the U.S. Folks decoupling from China, becoming less reliant on overseas production. Our country is on the verge of a super cycle of construction projects for manufacturing. Hello and welcome to Make It, Move It, Sell It. On this podcast, I talk with company leaders about how they're modernizing the business of making, moving, and selling products, and of course, having fun along the way. I'm your host, Adam Honig, the CEO of Spirit.ai. We make amazing AI software for companies in the supply chain, but we're not talking about that today. Instead, we're talking with Randy Reed, the CEO and president of ABC Polymer, probably the most interesting producer of extruded polypropylene products in the market. And I'm so happy I said that correctly. Welcome to the podcast, Randy. Thank you, Adam. Hey, tell us about ABC Polymer. What are you guys doing? Well, ABC Polymer is comprised of two business units today, FlexSAC and Full Force. Our FlexSAC business unit imports and distributes commercial packaging products throughout the United States. We believe we probably have the largest inventory of FIBCs in North America. Our full force business unit manufactures and sells polypropylene fiber, steel fiber, and a suite of liquid admixtures that address waterproofing, moisture mitigation, and topical densification applications for concrete applications. Gotcha. Well, this this is all cool stuff. I want to dive into the details, but before we get to that, before starting this business, you were a banker. So maybe you could kind of tell us a little bit about the journey where you woke up one day and you were like, yeah, polypropylene, that's where it's at. How did that happen? Well, it's interesting. I can remember when I first got out of school, I really did not have a clue as to what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to do something. And my father, who was an electrical engineer by trade, was at the time the largest private commercial real estate developer in the state of Alabama. He gave me, I thought, some very sage advice. And he said, son, if you want to go into business one day, you need to know what the guy on the other side of the table is thinking. And banking would be a great training ground for you to learn what the guy on the other side of the table is thinking. And, and I did learn, and it was, uh, it was good advice. That's how I got my start. I did that for six years, and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to take the point on a family investment in what is now known as ABC Polymer Industries. And so when when you first got into the business, it wasn't offering all these different services and products that you guys are offering today, it seems like. It was not. When we got into the business, our, our predecessor company had been locked up and closed by the banks for 18 months. We just decided we would try and resurrect the business of our predecessor company, which was the manufacturing of specialty bags for the explosives industry. And we would resurrect that business and then just see what we could get into after we got that part of the business stabilized. And when you say explosives industries, people making munitions to like carry around bombs, is that what the bags were used for? Well, so our customers which were the major explosive manufacturers in this country. There's been a lot of consolidation in that industry. Dino Nobel, Delson Brothers, Austin Powder Company. Those companies did a lot of work for the mining and quarry industries. They would use our product to 
transport sometimes products that would have the consistency of liquid mayonnaise or fertilizer to job sites where, you know, they couldn't use a bulk apparatus to load product directly into the blast holes. Yep. Yep. So they needed a very special kind of container for that. UNDOT approved. Was that dangerous to move that kind of material around? Well, we never had to move that material. Right, right. Sell our product to them, you know, empty, and then they would sell. It was all their problem to to get it there, yes. I'm sure gotcha. they took strict precautions. Yeah. No, it sounds pretty risky to me. And so so how did you expand into other markets? Can you tell me a little bit about the story behind that? Sure. When we bought this place, there was a lot of equipment. And, and one of the pieces of equipment that was on the floor was a large jumbo loom. So when we first got into business, we were weaving narrow diameter, circular woven polypropylene fabric. So, But they had one jumbo loom where they had taken a look at either using it to produce bags for the feed and seed industry or bolt bags, we did the math. We quickly realized that we were never going to be able to be competitive making these products. But it did give me the idea. And, you know, our, our business is kind of unique because every single line of business that we've been in, we have gone to local companies and they have helped us establish ourselves. So we've established ourselves locally, and then we've transported it throughout the country, and in some cases, in many different parts of the world. Now, this is really interesting. So you jointly developed a product with a customer? Is that how it worked? Or like help them sketch out what the need was? Well, they were already using a product. Either we could sell them, or we were thinking about putting ourselves in a position to sell them. So basically, local companies giving us a chance, in some cases, sharing information with us to help us determine whether or not we could be competitive if we, if we chose to enter that market. Gotcha. So you would say to them, hey, you know, we've got this idea. You guys are already doing it this way. Here's the way we could do it with the special sauce that we have and, right. and see if it kind of worked for them. That's right. That's right. Cool. You know, from a FlexSec perspective, is that the natural evolution of that product line came from this kind of customer interaction? Yeah, so the FlexSec product line is 100% imported. I'd say the vast majority of it coming out of India. We went to a couple local companies and said, we can do it for this. Would you be interested? Yes, we would. Again, we were well ahead of the curve with respect to recognizing that the benefits of imported product from a cost perspective, you never want to sell on price, but that was our, yeah, it was so compelling that it got their attention. And what kind of cost differential was there between that, the FlexSack and what they were using before, would you say? 30 to 40%. So pretty significant. Yeah. yeah. Yes. What types of applications are they using for the FlexSack line? Oh, gosh. Anything that's being packaged that typically is granular in nature, kind of free-flowing, would be a candidate for this type of packaging. This packaging has displaced what used to be packaged in Gaylord boxes, steel drums, 50-pound bags. The benefit of it being that you can get more billable weight on a truck and it's less expensive and less labor-intensive in some cases, particularly if you compare it to a 55-gallon steel drum 
or 25 kga bag. And I know this might be a dumb question, but is the flexibility of it, which gives it that utilization better because it can kind of fit and be contoured into the truck? Or It's more because it's lighter. Ah, so okay. you, you think about a Gaylord bag on a pallet might weigh 75 to 100 pounds empty. Our bag empty might weigh five pounds. So you can get more billable weight in your container and ultimately on your truck and reduce your transportation cost. I, I think it's something that people who are not familiar with the industry don't think about a lot. You know, that the, right. the weight of the containers and the shipping materials, it's it can be a pretty big percentage, yep. you know, especially for commodity products, That's right. right? That's right. Gotcha. Tell me a little bit more about the full force business unit then. What does that specialize in? So the full force uh, business unit has really evolved in a pretty significant way over the last nine years. We've been in the fiber business for 20 years. And really about nine years ago, we had kind of gotten wind that our two largest customers were each kicking the tires, for lack of a better term, evaluating the merits of establishing their own manufacturing capability. And we had the opportunity to meet with a gentleman named Tim Hartzell, who was an industry veteran, about affiliating with our company. Really, when I first met with Tim, it was to talk with him about establishing a relationship like we had with all the other folks that we dealt with. And so we were a wholesaler manufacturing and wholesaling all of our product. And what was happening is we were getting 100% commoditized on microfiber component of our business, and we were completely getting boxed out of the engineered fiber, which typically carries a higher margin. There's a lot more research and testing that goes into those fibers. And really, we just had no control of our destiny. So it was really an inflection point for us, and you know, a lot of gnashing of teeth for me is I ultimately made the decision to push all the chips to the middle of the table and say, we're going to control our destiny, and we're going to build out our own sales force. And this was a lot of this was Tim Hartzell's vision of what could be, and he just convinced me that we could do it. And it was absolutely the right move, as time would tell. And so... We have evolved from being a wholesaler to now we sell direct. And our primary sales channel is the concrete ready mix community. Mm -hmm. We work hand in hand. So if you think about our fiber products, those products do very well with what we call slab on grade, composite metal deck, or concrete paving applications. We almost always add value to the Mm -hmm. project both in terms of quality and also from a dollars and cents perspective. The newer markets that we're in with the liquid uh, integral products that we have with our DuraForce product line, we're very excited about that because we are gaining traction. We're in months 14 or 15 now of taking that product to the market, and that's waterproofing, topical densification, and moisture mitigation. So before Tim got involved with you guys, you said you were you didn't really have a sales team. So how were you doing business with customers? Did you have manufacturers, reps? Well, we had, we had one person who managed a handful of, whole, uh, more than a handful, but kind of the 80-20 rule applied to our customer base. But they managed 
all of our accounts. So the change was really, okay, well, we want to expand, we want to break into new areas, and so we really have to go build up the team. That must have been a really challenging decision to make. It was. It was. Like I said, we pushed all the chips to the middle of the table and said, we're going to we're going to go for it. Did you ever have a moment where it was like, oh, I don't know if this is really going to work? Yes. Yes. Anytime you start something new, even if you have everything in place, it's still hard. You know this, Adam. You've, you've started a company, even with all the institutional knowledge that you have and, and you know what it can do to help your customer. It's still hard to gain traction in the marketplace. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, my personal experience is that when things are going well, it's only up. And when things are not going well, it only looks down. It's like you're on the tangent of a curve. At any point, that's where you're looking, you know? Well, and the pendulum can swing the other direction awfully fast. Yeah, it's true. You know, fast forward to today, your business has got multiple divisions, multiple product lines. Sounds a little bit complicated. How do you organize things? How does that work for you guys? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's been very helpful for us is about two and a half years ago, we started running our business on the EOS operating system. Oh, yeah. We, we do that too. That's great. Yeah. And that, of course, as you know, that whole system, you start with establishing your core values. Yep. We did and forces you to really take a hard look on a quarterly basis uh, with each of your, all of your personnel. And, you know, we use the mantra, right person, right seat. Yep. And so nobody bats a thousand when they're hiring folks. But we tell people up front very candidly that we're, you know, right person, right seat is how is the lens that we look through. And to be the right person in the right seat, you've got to get it. You've got to want it. And you've got to have the capacity to do the job. Getting it's embracing our core values, wanting it. I kind of use the football analogy. You've got to be like Lawrence Taylor trying to get after the quarterback and sacking. And then capacity to do the job is just, you know, interpersonal skills, aptitude, and all the things that you have to have to be effective in the market that you're serving. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, we're very big fans of quarterly rocks as well. Yeah. Yes. So for those people who are not familiar with this EOS enterprise operating system, it's sort of a philosophy of, you know, how do you organize the business, learning from people who've done this before and not having to invent it all the time, which is something that entrepreneurs tend to do, right? Like we love to invent new things, but like, why do that? We really want to improve the business, not the way we run things. That's right. And so one of the precepts is to have these quarterly rocks, which are the most important things that the business focuses on during the period. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, I've been guilty of spreading myself too thin and, you know, the next shiny object that comes through comes flying by, grants my attention and the establishment of those rocks, which to be a rock, it's got to be impactful. It has to be measurable and it has to be realistic that it can be achieved, forces you to remain somewhat focused and it creates a form of accountability. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We just we had a meeting just before this call about our rocks for the quarter. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's great. Cool. Well, let's let's shift gears for a minute. I know, you know, you're a big supporter of, you know, manufacturing in the U.S. as a lot of our customers are. I'd love to get your view on what, you know, what's going on. First of all, do you feel like there is more manufacturing coming to the U.S. or what are you seeing? I think there's definitely a trend for more and more manufacturing 
in the U.S., folks decoupling from China, becoming less reliant on overseas production. I just read an article a week ago talking about how our country is on the verge of what they tapped a super cycle of construction projects for manufacturing. And what's interesting is we're seeing design changes for those facilities because of the advent of automation. So the slab designs have got it for the floors of these facilities are different today to take into account the automation that's being incorporated into the production facility. What does that mean, the floor plan? So they're allowing more space for robots and things like that? It may be load-bearing capabilities. It may be traffic wear and tear. You know, you need higher abrasion resistance to account for that traffic of the automation on the floor. Gotcha, gotcha. So you're seeing like this super cycle, which would mean that you know, more investment is being made to provide more capability, which ultimately should boost production. Yeah. You know, locally. Yes. Domestic. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what about on the labor side of things? I know in speaking with some other people in the industry that they're, you know, it's a challenge to hire, you know, and actually get people interested in this industry. Do you see that at all? We have seen it. Well, for years, we, we just had fruit basket turnover. And I think part of that was our fault for maybe not having the right person in the right seat leading that. Was that fruit basket turnover? Is that what you said? Yeah. What what does that mean? It means just you never knew who was going to show up one day to the next. You could take Betty for, if she'd show up for three days, you'd take it because it was better than no days. And it's interesting because we, of course, like a lot of folks have had to adjust our wage rates to be competitive. But we, we, we do have the right person and the right people and the right seats that oversee our manufacturing. And that combined, I think, with our competitiveness has really made a difference. We've had a lot of stability in our workforce for the last 18 months. Unprecedented stability, I might add. Wow. Well, that's that's great. And so from a more of a macro perspective, what else do you think we should be doing to be promoting manufacturing in the U.S. or encouraging people in that direction? Every company is different. We're working awfully hard to develop ourselves into what you might have an employer of choice. We're, we're trying okay. to position ourselves where people are beating our doors down because they want to come and work here versus somewhere else. So we're, we're trying to do a lot of even small things, whether it's a company cookout or buying tickets to the Birmingham Legion soccer games. We redid the break rooms. We redid the bathrooms. We have quarterly meetings. We encourage feedback. And really, we're trying to tap into what is your why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I mean, look, we're all human. We want to feel like that the people we work with care. And we do care. You know, it's interesting. We've got a couple of family members that work in our plant. And they sent our director of operations a video. And in this case, these folks are from overseas. And we do check green cards and all that. But they, like a lot of folks, send their money back home. And they sent a video of their family building their house. And they were like, thank you so much. We would not be able to do this 
if we weren't afforded the opportunity to work at ABC Polymer Industries. Wow. That's awesome. I love stories like that. Yeah. No, that's great. Another question that I've got for you, sometimes when I'm talking with people in manufacturing, I learn that like there are special or one-off kind of unusual things that people are asked to make. Is there anything like that going on with, you know, you guys? We have a customer who make uh, is in the crane business, and one day they were contacted by the people who dropped the ball at Times Square because they needed a precision winch to just make sure the ball hit the ground right as the clock struck zero. You know, I think maybe, and, and this is something we're working on right now, we're, we're working on a variation of some of the packaging products that we sell that will be used to package nuclear waste. Wow. So that's kind of an interesting exercise to go through. And is there a special, I mean, there must be special requirements for that. Does it have to be like uh, radiation proof in some way? So in in this case, our product is packaging another product that the waste is going into. So there's a, I hope it's got like five layers, you know, it's like a thing and a thing and a th- like, to yeah, keep there's, it all, some, you know? there's some tamper proof nuances to it that you have to be able to identify if somebody's tampered with it or not. We're actually in the process of, fi- of filing a provisional patent on this product. Wow. So, so you kind of started in the munitions business a long time ago, and, and now, you know, maybe all the way to nuclear waste, which I guess might not be from munitions, probably not from munitions, right. but uh, right. still it, it comes to mind a little bit. That's that right. Way. That's right. Huh. Super interesting. Well, Randy, it's been really great having you on the podcast. I really appreciate your joining us today. Thank you, Adam. It's been my pleasure. So as a reminder to our listeners, you can find every episode of the Make It, Move It, Sell It podcast at spiro.ai backslash podcast. And Randy, what do you think? Should people give us like a good review or something like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely think that they should. And feel free to subscribe or tell your friends or whatever else you uh, would like to do. And uh, big thanks to everybody for tuning in today, and we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode. 